Hello and welcome to H2 Orthopedics. My name is Mike Begg. I'm a certified physician assistant, a certified athletic trainer. I have a doctorate degree in medical science and over 30 years of experience in sports medicine, orthopedics, and medical education. My goal is to take your orthopedic diagnosis or injury and help you make sense of it. Welcome to H2 Orthopedics. Welcome to another episode of H2 Orthopedics. My name is Mike Begg and I'm your host. Our job here at H2O is to take your orthopedic diagnosis that you've been given or your injury that you've that you've suffered and try to make sense of it, try to, to explain to you what's really going on, what your treatment options are, and moving forward, what may fit best into your goals of getting better, whatever that means to you. Uh, so today's episode falls right along with that theory. So here is an email that Gerald sent me uh, at our at our uh, email address, topics at h2orthopedics.com. Uh, you can also go to our website, h2orthopedics.com, and fill out a form there that we have on the uh, on the website with, this, with uh, space for questions and uh, where we ask some details and, and try to get a bit of a history before we do a, a podcast. But we can actually take your questions, your information, your scenario, and put it into uh, to a podcast just like this one. And not only answer your questions, but help others answer the same questions that they may have regarding the same topic. So Gerald, uh, he sent in a question. He said, in the past, I've had my shoulder, I've had shoulder surgery for a rotator cuff repair. It worked well for about 10 or 15 years. And I believe it failed because I had pain and weakness that came on over time. Uh, My wife told me I was using my shoulder differently than before. And I agreed that there was something going on. I saw my orthopedic surgeon and he said I need a shoulder replacement, which doesn't make sense to me because 20 years ago or 15 years ago when I had this injury, uh, all I needed was the tendons to repair, be repaired or my cuff to be repaired. So uh, this is a pretty, uh, this makes sense to me. Uh, Gerald, thank you so much for, for sending that in. That's a good question. And I hope uh, hope you've either had gone back to your orthopedic surgeon and asked them these questions, or if uh, if the timing hasn't worked out, you haven't seen them yet, maybe I can shine a little light on it. Uh, I'm not going to change your diagnosis, but I'm going to summarize what I think is going on, and it makes sense uh, as far as that recommendation that you've been given. Now, I'm going to make a couple assumptions here. Uh, Gerald put on here that he's 76 years old, so if I do some math and round up and round down, he had a rotator cuff repair in his 50s. Um, so 20 some years ago, 25 years ago, roughly, um, it failed. And now in his mid seventies, he's having shoulder symptoms. He's confused as to why they don't just redo the repair. Um, but my guess is going to be, uh, and this is coming from, you know, the demographics, the history, and then also his recommendation. My guess is going to be that over time, his rotator cuff that was repaired has failed and likely has become a chronic irreparable rotator cuff issue, and he's developed arthritis in that shoulder, uh, either secondary to that injury or along with that injury. And we term that a rotator cuff arthropathy. Uh, to forget the big terms, the 50 cent to terms don't make it make a difference in any of this. Uh, it's just the way we talk in orthopedics in our special field of medicine. Uh, what it means is the shoulder has arthritis and a rotator cuff injury that likely is not fixable uh, in the way it was before. 
So just like uh, we always try to hold true to some kind of a format here, and I can easily be uh, sucked down some rabbit holes, but the general idea is we, we present normal anatomy, injured anatomy, the way we work this up, and then treatment options. So the normal anatomy of a shoulder, uh, the best way for me to describe this is to take your left hand, point your fingers towards the sky so uh, you're looking at your thumb, so kind of the side of your hand, and make a little cup out of that. That's going to be our socket, or what we call the glenoid. Take your right hand, make a fist, put the right hand right in the center of the left hand. That's going to be the humeral head or the ball side of the ball socket joint. So arthritis is wearing away or loss of a coating cartilage. So in this case, on the left hand, it would, it would coat, your, coat your palm. On the right hand, it would coat that, that knuckle side of your fist, uh, the palm side of your fist. Uh, so there's a coating cartilage called articular cartilage. You can change that name and say arthritis cartilage because when you lose that cartilage, you have arthritis. So the wearing away of that of that cartilage is the arthritic process. And uh, it sounds to me like Jerry probably, Gerald, sorry, probably um, <clears throat> lost some of that cartilage along the way. He had trauma to his shoulder. He admitted that he had a rotator cuff repair in the past. Uh, which is uh, the structures over the top. So let's go back to anatomy. If you take that left hand and you kind of spin it, and so you're looking directly at your palm, uh, the rotator cuff is a group of four tendons, four muscles, but we're talking about the tendons that come off the shoulder blade and from about where your thumb is over the top to about the base or the bottom of your your pinky finger, so 9 o'clock over to 3 o'clock, that's where they come off the, the, the um, scapula, the shoulder blade. They go past the socket or the glenoid. And then if you put your right fist back on, on that, you know, in that palm of the left fist from about where your thumb is over the top to about where your, your knuckle and your small finger, that's where they attach to the arm bone, to the ball side of the ball socket joint. And they, they move, they stabilize, they pull the ball in the center of the socket and they allow the other bigger muscle groups, the deltoid, the pectoralis, the trapezius, the latissimus, other big muscles around the shoulder to be the power generators. But their job, the rotator cuff's job is to hold the, the ball in the center of the socket when you repair that, you actually grab onto the tendon that's torn off of the off of the ball. So in this case, off of the right knuckles, that's kind of where it usually attaches. There's a little special bump there called the tuberosity. Um, it pulls off of that tuberosity and then can retract backwards. So a muscle's like a spring. So if one connection point, in this case on the humeral head, is lost or torn, uh, it's like a spring. It's gonna gonna retract or pull back away from that point and. <clears throat> I'm giving you all this information because this kind of fits in with Gerald's suggestion. So when that rotator cuff tears and pulls back, if it stays in that shortened position or pulled back position long enough, it actually will atrophy. The muscle gets smaller. The muscle tissue gets replaced with fatty tissue, which is called involution or infiltration. And eventually it's not repairable. We can't go in there, grab onto it and stretch it back out and repair it. The mechanics of the shoulder obviously are off because of that, because you've lost that, that tendinous attachment of the rotator cuff, and that can lead to arthritic change and other problems with the shoulder. What typically happens is that when that rotator cuff pulls, let's say that from the top rotator cuff, what we call the supraspinatus, and maybe the one just towards the back off the top, the infraspinatus, if both of those tear and pull back and are retracted, then the ball doesn't sit in the center of the socket anymore. The deltoid muscles, which is a big muscle that kind of makes the cap rounded part of your shoulder, also attaches over the top of the cuff. There's a little space in there, but it attaches over the top of the cuff and it tends to pull upward. So it pulls the ball upward in the shoulder joint. So the ball rides high in the socket uh, and 
what we call a high riding humeral head is something we would see on an x-ray. Uh, and it changes the mechanics of the shoulder altogether. So a lot, of, a lot of times these patients come in and you watch them move, and they're not really moving the ball in the socket very much. They're moving the entire shoulder blade. Uh, because that rotator cuff is gone, the ball rides high, the deltoid overwhelms uh, what the cuff should be doing, and then it changes the mechanics altogether. And then eventually, because of poor mechanics, the, the coating cartilage on the head and the socket uh, wear thin. And now you have arthritis as well as an irreparable rotator cuff tear. And that's where this concept of a reverse total shoulder comes into play. So let's go back and review. The normal anatomy is there's coating cartilage on the socket. There's coating cartilage on the ball that fits in the socket. And then there's a rotator cuff over the top from nine over the top to three o'clock or where the tendons come in and attach to the ball, but they come off of the scapula off of the shoulder blade and go past that socket uh, and attach onto the ball. When they work properly, when they're attached, when they get an, an impulse or a nerve uh, shock from the neurologic system, they move the arm. When they're not attached, when they're torn, they get that same impulse, but that muscle retracts or shortens. And if it stays shortened long enough, it gets changed out, it shrinks, it atrophies, and the muscle tissue gets kind of swapped out for fatty tissue and it's no longer repairable. It doesn't have elasticity. And if it did, it's hard to get it back out to where it came from because it's it's shortened and scarred in and stiff. When that happens, there's no longer a roof on the joint, if you will, and the ball moves high on the socket because the deltoid pulls it up. And now it's, now it's off center and being off center causes arthritic or abnormal wear to the cartilage. So you have two problems and we term all of that a rotator cuff arthropathy. All right, so if we take that condition, the rotator cuff that's not repairable and the arthritis in the glenohumeral, the ball socket part of the shoulder, how do we how do we know that? How do we work that up? So you'll again come into the doctor's office and typically the story that that we'll share and and you know Gerald's story is probably very similar to what I hear all the time is you know you don't have to have had a rotator cuff repair in the past but uh, you have rotator cuff injury symptoms my shoulder's been sore uh, I haven't been able to lift push or pull it's hard to go overhead I have pain sleeping at night all of those are issues or or complaints of a rotator cuff issue and um, we would work that up or evaluate that by having you go through range of motions we test kind of basic planes of motion. Uh, keep your elbow straight, lift it out towards the front, bend your elbow, pin the elbow to the uh, to the belt line and rotate in, to- hand towards the belly, rotate out, uh, lift your elbow away from your body like a wing, you know, flapping a wing on a bird. And we'll test range of motion and we'll test strength. If you have abnormal range of motion, and in this case with this rotator cuff arthropathy, uh, Gerald's going to be moving his shoulder blade earlier on in the motion and probably more than on the involved side than on the uninvolved side. And I don't think he told me right or left, but let's just say in this case, the right shoulder is the injured shoulder. So when he raises his elbow away from his body, he's going to go, you know, partial the way with just the ball socket motion, depending on how severe his arthritis is. Uh, but then his shoulder blade is going to start to raise away from his rib cage. When on the other side, it's going to be a nice smooth transition, early range of motion, just at the ball socket. And then eventually the, the shoulder blade or the scapula moves on the ribs as it naturally would. His strength is also going to be decreased probably in the rotation, taking his hand away from his belly or external rotation and bringing the elbow away from the body or what we call abduction. Uh, there's special tests that we could go through to evaluate the strength of different muscles or different tendons of the cuff. Um, an x-ray is going to be key here. So we're going to go through some range of motion, some stre- strengthening activities, but uh, an x-ray is going to be ordered and evaluated. There needs to be three views. So there's one directly front to back. There's one at kind of an angle where we just look uh, kind of directly at the 
at the face of that socket uh, directly across it. And then we shoot one that kind of in the, uh, from the um, armpit region. So armpit going upwards. So we can see where does the ball sit on the socket. And it, typically in an arthritic shoulder, it drifts backwards. It's what we call posterior translation. Uh, we can see that. We can also see a bunch of bone spurs, uh, typically, again, depending on the level of arthritis and how long it's been there. And what we, what we look for is a space between the two balls. If there's a space there, we assume that there's cartilage coating the bone. When you lose that space, what we call joint space narrowing, uh, we assume that that cartilage is missing. And that's what the definition, that's truly the physical definition of arthritis, the loss of that coating cartilage. So in this case, there's an additional thing that we would we would look for if we think there's a rotator cuff arthropathy. So I kind of imagine a, a you know, a normal car versus a convertible car. And in this case, it's a convertible with the roof pulled back. So, you know, a, a super cool, you know, 66 Mustang has a hard top. That's great. But if it's a convertible and that, that, that uh, they've hit the button or, or manually pulled back in 66, I guess you manually pull it back. Um, the convertible's open. Now that ball can ride high because that rotator cuff isn't there causing or working as a roof uh, in, in the shoulder joint. So we see that on x-ray. We see the, the actual <clears throat> elevation or high riding uh, position of the humeral head in reference to the glenoid, sometimes to the point where it's actually hitting the bone underneath the, the collarbone. There's a bone called the acromium up there, and uh, it's part of your shoulder blade, but it wraps around and attaches to the collarbone. Sometimes that humeral head actually goes up and hits that acromium. And if it's been there long enough, it'll take on the undersurface of the acromion will take on the shape of the upper surface of the ball. It's kind of crazy, but it, it makes sense when you think about the mechanics and what the body's doing when it tries to move that arm. So that's, that's usually what we see on the workup. Um, oftentimes we'll get a CT scan to make sure we know the bony structure specifically of the socket side. We want to know, is there extra bone loss or, or aggressive bone loss? Is there something we need to be able to, uh, replace with an augment in the operating room, uh, to reestablish normal anatomy? Uh, it's very helpful to, to see that with a CT scan. In this case, an MRI is probably not indicated or necessary because we, we already kind of know the status of the rotator cuff and we're going to work around that with our, with our options to, as far as treatment. So in Gerald's case, uh, I'm kind of leaning towards the surgery because that's what he, that's what he suggested. He needs this, this shoulder replacement. It's called a reverse arthroplasty, but could you treat this non-operatively? And in many cases, uh, the absolute, you know, the answer is absolutely you could. Um, it's not going to change the mechanics of what's going on. So you have to accept some limitations with that approach in this problem. We're not going to fix that rotator cuff issue. We're not going to pull that ball back down into the center of the socket, and we're not going to treat the arthritis. But we can do physical therapy to, to give you some pain relief, uh, try to improve your mechanics. Sometimes we can kind of teach the other muscles around the shoulder to work better. Uh, but the honest truth is if you want to recover from this, and it's possible to recover you know, into a high degree, then surgical intervention is usually necessary uh, for this problem. So what does that mean? So we talked about the a reverse shoulder arthroplasty, reverse shoulder replacement. Uh, so we should talk about a normal or what we call an anatomic first. So in an anatomic replacement, that means the rotator cuff is intact and functioning over the top. So there's four cuff tendons. There's there's one in the front, there's one on top, and there's two in the back, kind of kind of you know stacked upon one another. As long as those rotator cuffs are doing their job, meaning they're still attached to the outside of the ball, then you can do an anatomic or an, a normal shoulder replacement. You put a plastic socket on the socket side, you put a metal ball on the ball side, and you utilize that rotator cuff to move the arm and keep that ball centered on the socket. 
that's anatomic. A reverse goes back to the idea of that ball riding high on the glenoid or on the socket. If you put an anatomic replacement in a shoulder that does not have a functioning rotator cuff, the deltoid will continue to fire, will continue to pull that ball high, and over time that ball will keep banging into the top of that socket and cause either abnormal wear, which is bad because there's plastic debris and different things that happen and the mechanics are still off or worst case scenario, it will work long enough and hard enough to uh, actually dislocate or or dislodge that plastic socket on the socket side. And now obviously you have a big problem because there's a big hunk of plastic floating around in your shoulder and you're no better off than when you started. So this reverse idea uh, came along uh, not that long ago. It's been around a while, but it's, it's relatively new. And again, I'll say it, I'll say it one more time that the engineers, the biomechanical engineers and those who, who actually make the stuff that surgeons get to use in the operating room don't get nearly enough credit. They are geniuses. They figure this stuff out and then they hand it off to the surgeon who gets to, you know, play with their tools in the sandbox um, and get credit for the, for the beautiful masterpiece of the end result. So uh, thank you engineers. You guys are really the heroes of the story here, but um, not to downplay the surgeon. They need to know what they're doing too. Um, Anyway, so the reverse idea is we're, we have to accept the fact that the deltoid is going to be the primary motor function or motor unit of that shoulder. So let's put it to use instead of to cause a problem. So instead of putting a socket on the socket side, we actually put a ball on the socket side. And the term they use is a glenosphere. So the glenoid and making it spherical. So there's, you kind of switch things backwards. That's why it's called a reverse. So you put a glenosphere on the socket side and then on the ball side, you're going to put a socket over there. So it's a, it's very similar as far as the base. There's a stem that goes down the arm, upper arm, and then you put the socket component on top of that stem. This the way this works is you change the center of, of rotation. You change the mechanics of the shoulder and actually lower and medialize. It's called the, the center of rotation for that shoulder to work, which stretches and changes the mechanical forces from the deltoid. So it actually works to, to rotate that socket around that glenosphere in a relatively normal biomechanical fashion. It's not completely normal. It's not, you know, equal to a, a non-injured shoulder, uh, but we can, um, we can change that center of rotation so the deltoid actually works more appropriately, which is pretty dang cool. Um, you need a rotator cuff tendon in the front and ideally in the back uh, so this thing doesn't slip out front and back. Um, but uh, if those top two cuff tendons are torn and we're dealing with a relatively straightforward rotator cuff arthropathy, this reverse replacement is ideal and works really well. So what you're recovering from is what we call the surgical approach. So there's an incision in the front of the shoulder. There's a natural void between the deltoid and a shoulder cap muscle and the pectoralis. We go down through there. We have to avoid some fairly significant structures as far as veins, arteries, nerves, etc. Uh, but we get into the shoulder joint. We take the worn out ball off uh, and replace it with the uh, with the socket side over there. And then we uh, put the sclenosphere component on the on the socket side. Uh, it does change some of the the mechanics of the of the forces in the joint. So there is a risk for fracture at the glenoid. Uh, there's a risk for fracture at the acromion, which is kind of the bone uh, attachment above the shoulder joint for the deltoid. And you can have uh, abnormal uh, stresses, which can cause fracture. But again, if you're reasonable with your activities and you go through a full recovery and keep a watchful eye on things, uh, those are those are. 
uh, problems that are, I don't say preventable, but uh, if you're aware of them, we can we can work around that. But they don't happen often. The percentages of that happening are, are relatively low. And the benefit of the surgery is you get a you get a shoulder that again pain's gone, so you can sleep through the night. You can do the things you want to do throughout the day, just normal everyday activities. And it, as long as you can retrain that deltoid and take advantage of the mechanical you know abnormalities or changes in the joint itself, you know, range of motion returns to to near normal or just slightly off normal and strength and function returns to near normal or slightly different than normal, but much improved over your baseline uh, preoperative levels of function. And with pain relief and improved function, people are pretty, pretty happy. They're pretty happy with the outcomes with this, with this procedure. So that's the, that's the general idea. Gerald, I hope that makes sense. And the reason they're doing that reverse is because that rotator cuff that was repaired before has failed and they don't feel like it's reparable. They can't fix it again. And even if they could, then you have this arthritic shoulder underneath there. Uh, so you'd have to heal your rotator cuff. Uh, sometimes at the same setting as a shoulder replacement anatomically, but uh, sometimes they'll stage it, meaning they'll fix the cuff and then they come back and do the, rep- the uh, replacement. Um, the benefit of having this reverse option, you know, on our shelf is that it really does a good job for your scenario of a rotator cuff that's not fixable and a shoulder that has arthritis, and again, typically a high riding humeral head, so it changes the mechanics. So we can address all of those three issues with this reverse procedure, and it's one and done. And then you're you're out there, and you're back to, you know, doing the things you want to do and enjoying life. So I hope that makes sense, Gerald. Uh, you know how to get a hold of me. Topics at h2orthopedics.com is the email. You can go to our website, h2orthopedics.com, and leave uh, comments or questions in a, a form you know, click on the page there and you can, you can leave information or questions there. Uh, we'll do our best to get back to you as soon as we can. Um, keep, do, keep, keep in contact. That's great. I'm, I hope this works out for you. It's a great procedure for those who need it. it sounds like you need it. Um, so I, I wish you the best and a speedy recovery on that. Um, and that's it. If you, any of you others uh, out there have questions, other topics, uh, you have family members, friends, you know, workmates, whoever that you think would benefit from, uh, from dropping a line. I'm happy to talk uh, to them. I'm happy to put a a podcast together to help not only them, but others that may have the same issue. Topics at h2orthopedics.com or our website, h2orthopedics.com and find our form to fill out the information. And uh, again, sometimes it is blend several together. Sometimes it's like this uh, specific uh, problem that Gerald had, Uh, but I'll do my best to uh, answer your questions and uh, make things clear. That's the job of, that I've uh, set out here. H. Orthopedics is to take your diagnosis. I'm not going to change your diagnosis. I'm not going to give you medical advice. I'm just going to educate you on what you already have been told. So it's more crystal clear for you moving forward for your treatment options that fits your expectations and your goals the best. So with that being said, in the meantime, until we talk again, stay active, stay healthy, and do your best to put a smile on someone else's face. See ya. Hey, it's Mike here. I hope this episode is helping you out and answering some questions. If I'm not hitting every topic right on for you, if there's something specific that you have about your injury uh, or you want to discuss unique findings on the exam or your history, your MRI, your x-rays, whatever it might be, head to our website at h2orthopedics.com and scroll to the bottom for an opportunity to sign up for a virtual visit where we can either have a Zoom call, we can do a telephone call, whatever it might be, and we can discuss the specifics of your injury in more detail and hopefully get the answers you're looking for. 
Again, that's h2orthopedics.com. Scroll to the bottom for the virtual visit, and I will talk to you next time.